Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. An Eye for an Eye podcast contains subject matters that many may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Regardless of what labels they give me, doesn't mean that that's what I am. You can label me a monster, a cold-blooded killer, uh, demon child, Satan incarnate. I don't care what the name you give me. Doesn't mean that that's who I am. Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> we are here today to present to you Eye for an Eye podcast, your favorite true crime podcast, part of the Murderly Network, which we are so proud to be a part of. If you haven't already, check out murder.ly, which is a website. Um, it feels weird not saying .com, but that's the website where you can find all of our pottern, pod family, our true crime pods that you will love on there. Um, but we're going to get into it today. I am your host as always, so I don't know what I said today. I'm your host, Lisa, coming at you strong with uh, our guest co-host that is a reoccurring guest co-host on the show because we love it to death, and my trusty co-host of Streaming and Screaming, our girl Kara. Say hi every- to everybody. Hi, everybody. <laughs> um, so Kara's here with me today, getting into, again, a little bit why I started this podcast. I have these conversations in real life with Kara, with Matt, with random friends here and there who are willing to listen to me talk about true crime. This is a case that Kara and I have actually spoke about, and that's how this came about. It was one of those where it was like, yeah, we should do it. Yes. It was your answer to one of my questions on one of my yes, Facebook it was, posts. Yeah. Well, we'll get into yeah. that because we It'll don't be want to spoil it. Yeah. We don't want to spoil it. But basically, in this case, definitely not for the faint of heart. It's really disturbing. And it's really, really sad for a multitude of reasons. So trigger warning right here, right now. A kid dies. Little kid. Like a baby kid. Yeah, really baby kid. Um, horrible, horrible way. It's really messed up. This whole case is just really horrible. Um, so I just wanted to throw out a trigger there. If those kind of things, if, if kids, uh, well, it should upset you no matter what, but you know, if that's a trigger for you, this is not the episode to listen to today. So if you're still with us, bless. we're talking about Eric Smith today. Let's get into it, Kara. So for some background on Eric Smith, he was born on January 22nd, 1980. That makes him 40, 38, 38, in Steuben County, New York, is where he was born. He spent his early years, like many other children, spending time with his grandparents, playing outside, going to school, and his grandparents would say that he'd always come in and give them hugs and kisses, and he liked being a clown. It gives me, like, Gacy vibes, but I don't think it was intended (laughs) to be like that. Um, I'm not mean to laugh at that, but that's kind of funny. 
Guys, we're clowns will podcast, never be the same. But yeah, right? Clowns, well, clowns are fucking. You scary haven't done a Gacy episode yet, have you? Oh, you should be on it. There we go. She's coming back. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that case. But clowns are creepy, no matter what. I don't know that they were until you know. I've been to the Museum of Death, which has the largest collection of Gacy art, Oof. like his art. Didn't he like draw himself as a clown? Yo, oh yeah. All the clowns. What was with his fascination with clowns? House, so I have no proof. You should have snuck one. They have like they're like oh <laughs> they have like people that just stand there. Mm-hmm. That's annoying. Yeah. I get it, but I guess it's annoying. Yeah. Um. So during her <laughs> pregnancy, it was said that Eric's mother continued to take her epilepsy medicine. Tridion. Tridion. Uh, don't add that. <laughs> that might be very wrong. You know I'm bad at enunciations, pronunciations, any kind of enunciation. Wanton. Stop Which, it. if administered during pregnancy, can lead to fetal trimethadione syndrome. Maybe. Is the pronunciation. It um, looks like it. Trimethadone. Trimethadione. The e, the, that I is messing with me. But this may result <laughs> um, in some issues with the child that could cause facial dysmorphism, like a short upturned nose, slanted eyebrows. Cardiac defects, intrauterine growth restriction, and mental retardation. So it can just fuck it's, up your pregnancy. It's not good to stay on this medicine. Right. Um, and I don't know if that was really widely reported back then, so I don't want to be like, oh, it's his mom's fault for taking uh, medicine when she was pregnant, because I don't know how widely reported that was right. back when she was pregnant. I feel like it was, like, less of a... And it's also one of those things where it's like, if you do have epilepsy, how do you manage it? when you're pregnant right. but i'm sure like now we have some things yeah. to to do so but back then i don't i don't want to be like oh yeah she messed this kid up yeah um eric had lower set protruding ears thick glasses a speech impediment red hair and freckles you know honestly i think he looked kind of cute as a little boy he was an adorable kid he reminds me like Stuart little yeah, like, like just, a, just like nerdy little redhead yeah like a little baby cutie pie yeah hmm. um uh, this made him an easy target for bullies when he was growing up. Makes me sad. And he stated that the constant bullying led him to have extreme pent up rage. Um, but yeah, I don't think like they say that staying on that medicine would have caused his like years and physical stuff. defects. But I don't think he looked, or even still, I mean, I don't think he's like. A, I don't. I don't know how to phrase this. I don't. Think he's attractive. Yeah, but, but I don't like, think he's, he's not like odd serial looking. killer. But right, he's just like a guy. Yeah, I mean, I think he looks kind of creepy now, but but that's because you know what he did. Yeah, but you know what I mean. I think I don't know. I'm so anti bullying. It's disturbing. Like it's incredible because I've uh, had a lot of that happen with throughout my life. Both you know, um, very close to me with friends, all that kind of stuff with family. Um, and I just think it's horrible. Like you, when I have kids, if you bully them. Mama Bear's going to take you down. And I'm going to take your house down. <laughs> Mama Wolf's coming out. In my head, I just saw you tackle a child. See? That's what's going to happen. So don't mess with my children because we have Russian blood. We uh, we drink vodka, smash glass overhead. <laughs> you know? Um, but, yeah, I have no tolerance for bullying in any form, whether you're old, young, short, tall, big, small, whatever. I think it's disgusting and it's really sad and, and, and no one deserves that. Mm-hmm. Um so this is and just we like see the things that happen because, because of, of it. And but also people get bullied and don't do these things. But like it's you're right. It's just it's it's a messed up world we live in. It's really mm-hmm. sad that that it's even a thing. But 
I mean, I'm sure bullying always is going to be around, unfortunately. However, I do think with our generation, as we slowly become the majority, more tolerance is being brought in to the mainstream. So, you know, I feel like bullying that hate stems from somewhere. Like, I don't feel like people are born hating other people. I think that's taught or it's like learned from experience, like watching. Um, So I think as our generation starts to kind of take over the majority, we're... um, you know, I think we're kind of straying away from that being a, a thing that's tolerated, is okay. what I was trying to say. So, again, huge, huge, huge trigger warning. This is horrific. We're going to get into the uh, the grisly details of everything right here. I think it's important to know because it really does kind of go with eye for an eye. Kind of, it's it's something you need to consider when you're thinking about what happened here. And we'll go over that in more detail, but... There is horrific crimes against a small child coming up ahead. So I want to give that uh, additional warning now if you are not into gory things. Uh, I mean, I hate when I say like into because like everybody knows what I mean. I'm not into any of this. But you know what I mean? If that's something that really offends you or um, you can't hear like me and I can't even. I don't want to make these equivalencies. So ignore me. We're going to get into the nitty gritty. (laughs) So on August 2nd, 1993, so that makes Eric 13 years old. He was riding his bike to his summer day camp in a local park that he had gone to in the summer. Along his route, he spotted four-year-old Derek Robbie, who was alone walking to the day camp. Now, it's crazy. No blame on yeah. anybody. I'm just commenting. It's crazy that a four-year-old could... I mean, it was I so know. different back... Yeah, back in... Even then. It doesn't seem that long ago. It's when I was born. Yeah. This was, was like right born. after I was born. So Derek was... Two, three years older than us. Ooh, I didn't think about it like that. That makes yeah. me really sad. But it's just crazy to me that a four-year-old could walk somewhere because Chandler's, my nephew, is six, and he's, he's not walking anywhere by himself. It's a different world. I really agree. I think yeah. it's, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, like we said, no blame thrown anywhere. Because right. that's just how it was. She did explain it, and I can't remember what she said. I think I wrote about it a little later on, but... You're right. I mean, I can't imagine. Any. My yeah. mom's a preschool teacher. She deals with four-year-olds. Like, I cannot imagine any of them going anywhere alone. Like, no, they can't even pee without someone standing there. Um, but it's a different time. I, I really do believe that that's a lot of the reason. So, yeah, he was walking alone um, to the state park. And we don't know how far away it was from the house. We don't know if she could, like, see the park from right. his house. But in any I mean, case, I'm clearly sure he was wasn't. Very, very close. Yeah. And, but in any case, clearly no one was watching him. Right. Um... Again, no blame, nothing like that. We don't want we don't want to be insensitive there or anywhere, but you know what I mean. So Eric decided to go up to the little boy and lure him off the path. Now it wasn't really reported what he had said or what he did. I think he kind of was like, Hey, this is a shortcut, cooler older boy, you know. Yeah. And and when you're four or even when you're thirteen, you know, when you're dealing with someone older than you, you're like, Oh my gosh, yes, like that's exciting. I wanna do it. I wanna be, you know, like with the mature kids. And as a kid, you're not as really like worried. You don't think about like You don't think of other kids being predators to yeah, you. You think of exactly. adults being predators. Exactly. And so, you know, this little ugh, it kills me. This whole fucking case just hurts my soul. Um yeah, so he lured him into uh, the woods off the path that they were taking, um, you know, kind of side by side. He was across the street, so he crossed the street, went up to this four-year-old, little Derek, and probably said something along the lines of, hey, I know a shortcut. We're going to the same place. Come with me. And the little boy was probably so excited, which hurts my soul to mm-hmm. its core, 
uh, entrusted this this uh, 13-year-old boy, um, Eric, and went with him. So while in the woods, the pent-up rage that Eric was talking about from what he uh, blames on, you know, being bullied or, you know, relentlessly tormented in school in his 13-year-old's time, in 13 years that he's been on this earth, he exploded. Eric took the little Derek by the neck and began strangling him. Clearly he's four, um, so he was super overpowered. Eric then picked up two rocks, one large rock and one smaller rock, and brought it down on the little boy's head multiple times, effectively bashing his head in. Um, He then went into Derek's lunch bag and he smashed a banana, which will come into play a little bit later, which is interesting. So that's a Mm -hmm. point I wanted to add. He did smash a banana in this little boy's lunch bag and he took Kool-Aid and poured it into the little boy's wounds. Eric also sodomized Derek with a stick he had found and he seemed to pose Derek's body post-mortem. So it seems like he was messing around with the body a little bit after death. And I think actually the stick thing was also after death as well. Um... This would later be brought up in court as the prosecution would say he enjoyed it. He was he was hanging out with the body he was doing. He wasn't like freaked out by what he did. He spent time uh, doing things to the body, which is disturbing on many levels. Now, the cause of death was determined to be blunt trauma to the head, blunt force trauma to the head with contributing asphyxia. So the investigation. So this was, it was daylight, right? Yeah. They were walking to a summer camp. Wooded area, I'm guessing. Yeah, he took him off the path into the woods. So, like, the way I've researched and the way I believe it happened is they were, like, across the street from each other. uh, Eric was riding his bike on the one side of the road. Derek was walking on the other side of the road. He, Mm -hmm. I think he crossed the road. Eric. I think so, yes. And he was like, hey, like, it looks like we're walking to the same place. I know. I'm imagining. Because I can't imagine what else he would say that would make this little boy go off the you know, I mean, he could have said a plethora of other things, but I feel like, yeah, like I want to show you something or I know it's like a secret pathway or I have a treehouse. You should come check it out. Something that intrigued this little boy yes. where he trusted this, this, uh, this kid who was also a kid, um, you know, to go with him. So that's important. It, it's just, these cases aren't easy. Like we make jokes and I know people sometimes get offended at that. And it's just cause it keeps us from crying. Honestly, it makes it's It's so dark to research these kind of things, to go into all of the articles about it, to even read the Wikipedia pages for these things hurts your soul old, young, no matter what. Um, so I do want to note like anytime we're giggling on the show, which I know we got flack for that from Ted Bundy's episode, we're not laughing at anything. None of this is funny and we're not no. sociopaths. We know that. Um, it's just so dark that, like, without some kind of light within the conversation, I'd be in a hole somewhere. You know what I mean? I would not be able to do this. Right. Um, so I just want to say that, even though none of us have laughed during any of this, but I just want to say that if we do crack a giggle somewhere or say something that's, you know, seemingly jovial, it's not because we we want to, like, make light of a situation that's so dark. It's because we're trying not to be trapped in this horrific, horrific crime. So investigation, Kara, what happened here? Um, before we move on, I yeah. would just wanted to say like the point that sticks out to me in that is uh, that he smashed the banana, he took Kool-Aid, poured it into the wounds. It's all just so juvenile. <laughs> and I mean, you think about it, he was 13. Think of yourself when you were 13. I was having a butt mitzvah. I, I became a woman. I was not, <laughs> but I was a kid. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you're and back young. in these days, I mean, it's different now because kids are growing up fast. They're maturing early. Oh, my God. If you saw a picture of me at 13 first. So actually, I was cool. I'm <laughs> just kidding. I mean, like, I, I wasn't. <laughs> um, I think I had one blonde streak in my hair. Like, right at the front. You know, people did that. <laughs> yeah. And I would... 13 like, is what? 7th grade? 6th, 7th, grade, yeah. There. But I was... You're just a kid. Like, mm-hmm. especially back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Kids were kids. Um, but, yeah, let's move on to the investigation. So, after the murder, Eric coolly returned home as if nothing had happened. And around 11 a.m., Derek's mother, Doreen, went to the park to pick up her son, only to find that he hadn't arrived at the camp that day. Which I can't even imagine the panic yeah. that would have gone over you. Um, in a state of panic, she immediately called the police and set out to find her son after only four hours of extensive investigation, which is pretty quick for that kind of thing. Um, I think because of his age. I mean, we were to actually... Uh, it's going to seem like a lot longer ago when this airs, but yesterday I did a recording with Matt, and we were talking about this. Do you know... Um, what the missing child like time frame like so you know how sometimes like for like for like 18 year olds you have to wait like 24 mm-hmm. to 48 hours or something do you know what it like the stipulations are per age i don't because i feel like with young kids like this it's like instant they don't waste yeah. time but sometimes it's like if it's an 18 year old they're like give it 24 hours they might have they, run away mm-hmm. but obviously a four-year-old's not gonna be like i'm running away yeah so i think there is there's a hundred percent there's a difference i just need to look more into it yeah. what it is so like you said they found him quick and again a 13-year-old isn't being too, I don't want to say clever, but they're not being... He doesn't think through. I don't want to say smart either, but the, I'm sure he didn't effectively put the body somewhere that's not going to be found. Yeah. Um, so immediately this case made headlines due mainly to the age of the victim, the horrific nature of the crime, and it would stay in the headlines once the age of the killer came to light as well, um, which really makes this case the unique um, five days later, August 8th, Eric would confess the awful truth to his mother, and the Smith family informed law enforcement later that night, which I, it reminded me of the case, who is it? I think the girl's name was Maddie... Maddie Clifton? Yes. Where the mom... That case messes me up, too. Oh, that one was horrible. We're gonna cover it, of course, but... Um, but I always am like, go mom, you know, when they're... Oh, yeah, because can you imagine how hard that is you know you're about to give your you're losing your kid effectively uh unless things go wildly different for you in court you know when you're reporting something that serious to the police that you have a chance you're never gonna see your kid outside of a jail cell again yeah but you know knowing that was the right thing you're not just gonna be right so oh i just can't imagine i just can't imagine hardest call she's ever made right um, so when investigators questioned Eric, at first he denied even seeing Derek, but then he started to slowly admit that he did see him, he described what he was wearing, and he effectively just put him at the side, at the scene of the crime. Yeah, so he was pretty much, like, letting investigators, because he was young, he didn't, I don't think yep. he realized what he was doing, but he basically told people that he saw him exactly the time he disappeared, you know what I mean? He put himself where they found the boy. Yeah. So, throughout the investigation, Eric seemed to be enjoying himself when he would give the investigators little glimmers of information. It seemed like he had it, it was kind of like a game in his mind almost, is how they kind of reported it. I'm not 100% sure if that's accurate, but that's what investigators said. They said, you know, 
he would light up when he said certain things and then he would get real quiet when other things so his grandfather later admitted that they knew he was hiding something from the family that day he re- they realized that you know quickly something was going on with eric that didn't seem quite normal and he said quote in no way did we feel he had done it so we felt that he knew something maybe someone had threatened him that's why he wouldn't tell so they thought he knew something about this because he was acting a little strange when it would be brought up however they didn't think he would have had anything no. to do this not in a million years and that's never going to be like your first assumption like, of oh, course not he, yeah he did it unless you have like a little sociat right. so, like unless it's like have you seen the movie um we need to talk about kevin which is another way we're gonna have to reveal no Oh, you have to see it. It's also a book, but it reminds me of that. And, like, unless you're that mother, you're not going to expect your kid to be this kind of person first. Um, So shout out to We Need to Talk About Kevin. Great movie. We'll do it on streaming and screaming at some point. So this is where the banana thing comes in. It's really interesting, and I found this through some research. Yeah, and we actually, like, I was researching this um, on my lunch break at work. And I, like, turned to Karen, like, did you know that? Like, this is so, like, uh, you wouldn't know this just from, like, outwardly. And I I heard it on another podcast. Yeah. Probably, I think it was My Favorite Murder. Yeah. I don't remember the first time I heard about that. Well, mine was, like, probably, like, Killer Kids. Yeah, I've known about this case for a long time, but I didn't know that detail until within the past couple months. So this was interesting. So neighbors and friends admitted to believing that Eric had known something as well. So his family and also neighbors and family friends kind of thought something was up with the little boy, which can't imagine the feeling that gives you either. He would ask questions to the neighbor families and friends, uh, like, quote, what would happen if it turned out to be a kid? End quote. And, you know, the responses were normally something along the lines of, like, I think they would need some serious help. And he would be like, okay, and walk away. Now, Marlene Heskel, who was friends of Eric's family, was the one who reported having these conversations with Derek the... Or, not Derek, oh my gosh, Eric the most. Don't get confused between those two names. Yeah, Derek and Eric are like the same name without a D. <laughs> but she said that that he was always questioning about DNA, like how that works and what that would show if they found DNA on his body. And it just seemed like more than the average child curiosity, kind of like a Mary Bell where they were like, oh, how did he die? I want to see him in his casket kind of thing. I mean, obviously, he didn't say that part, but it seemed like he showed a morbid interest, not just like a general kid interest in what's going on. Mm -hmm. It was more morbid. And that's where red flags started going up in the family, friends, and and especially Marlene Heskel's mind. Now, as more details leaked about the crime on the news, because this was obviously really widely reported, trying to figure out who had done it, Marlene had some theories of her own. (sighs) Now, Sleuth over here. yeah, at the scene, like we talked about, there was a smashed up banana. And because of that, uh, Marlene suspected that the crime had to have been committed by a child who didn't like bananas. As she figured an adult would not have just thrown, would have just thrown away a banana if they did not like it. Question real quick before we move on. Was it, is Marlene just coming up with this or did they, like, was it suspected that it was a child? And I'm guessing this is all happening within the first five days. Yeah. Now, is it just, like, her own personal thing? Like, hmm, that's awesome. I think it was her own thing, but I'm not 100% sure on that. I mean, if it is, that's awesome. I actually don't know. If anyone knows, let me, let us us know. Um, I don't, I know it was reported that that was at the crime scene. Clearly, she knew that that was a thing. So maybe it was. Maybe it was, like, 
Maybe she got that theory from an investigator. Yeah. Because I don't know, because I was just going to say that to this point. I would not, if I saw a smashed up banana on the floor, I would not immediately think, oh, a child smashed up a banana out of anger at bananas. I would think someone probably stepped on a banana near the scene. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't, I mean, I guess they knew that that was packed for his lunch, so that probably impacted it as well. But I, I wouldn't, my first thought when I read this was not, Oh, like it's an angry child who hates bananas. My thought was, oh, like right. an animal like, probably stepped on it. And if I saw a watermelon, you know, like, I'm not gonna smash. Yeah, you're not gonna go up to it and Even throw a it child on the ground. Have done it, yeah, exactly. It's just it's a weird thing to pick up on, but maybe I think you could be right though. I think that could be part of the like the forensics of it. Like maybe that was because I don't know who would think that, but that's what she thought. She she, she yeah. thought whether it was fed to her, whether it was actually her own thought. She did. Regardless, this is some sleuthing. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Well, actually, reading this, I do think that it came from kind of her brain because... That's what it sounds Because if it was reported, she would it would have been like, oh, a kid did this. Yeah. If it was just like her sleuthing around, then it's a theory, yeah, which it I seems like it's a Eric theory. Yeah, being like, what if a kid did it? Yeah. So, she so she's just like, all it's... Yeah, it's all adding yeah. that. So, of course, super sleuth Marlene decided to go to the store... And get Sundays for all the kids. Making sure to include bananas on every single Sunday. Now, clearly at a close neighborhood, the kids were always around each other. So she thought to herself after doing a little sleuthing that since she believed it would have to be a kid who doesn't like bananas, let's feed bananas to all the neighborhood kids and see which one doesn't eat it. Which, I don't feel like that's the most accurate way to do this, but it it seemed to work out for her because I wouldn't eat bananas back then either. I don't like bananas that much. So my ass would have picked the bananas off too. But it was interesting because it did work out in Marlene's favor. She gave the kids these Sundays, all of them had bananas, and she stated, quote, I went up to the store and I bought ice cream and nuts and syrup and bananas, and I went home and asked everybody if they wanted Sundays. Of course, they all did. Eric was going to have the nuts and the syrup, but he did not want banana. No, I don't like bananas, he said. Immediately, she called Nancy and she said, Eric doesn't like bananas. I'm scared. End quote. So that set off some kind of... It sounds like, based on what he said, it was more of like an outburst. Not like a... No! Oh, I don't, just, I don't like, like bananas! Yeah, like... Like, not just like, oh, no, thank you. Yeah, like, no, thanks, I don't like bananas. Thanks, like bananas. It thank was like an for outburst. your generous offer. Which, maybe... I mean, I don't know, because I don't know how widely the banana thing was reported. Clearly it was, because they knew about it, but I wonder if that was like a point that, like, Eric knew that that was something that they were looking into, maybe? Or, like... Bananas really piss him off. I'm not sure. I don't understand. But she yeah. she realized quickly that Eric was the only boy in this in the neighborhood near where this happened that didn't like bananas, yeah. and that was her theory that that had to have been, um, you know, and that with all the questions he was asking and yeah. you, just everything together makes him a pretty likely suspect. Right. So we're gonna take a quick break to just not think about this for a second, and we'll be right back. Um. So. Let's get into the investigation. Well, we kind of went over the investigation, but the conviction. What happened? So, Eric Smith was brought up on second-degree murder charges. And just a second-degree murder definition. That is... That's not premeditated. What makes... What's the difference between first and second? Second degree is any intentional murder with malice afterthought. Second degree murder is ordinarily defined as an intentional killing that is not premeditated or planned, nor committed in a reasonable heat of passion. So it's not like a passionate murder. It's just it wasn't planned. You just got mad and you did it, but it was not passionate. 
Yeah, it's a killing caused by the dangerous conduct the and the offender's obvious lack of concern for human life, is what it says. Okay, so what would a third-degree murder be? Would that be an act of passion? passion? I think so. Yeah, crime of passion, third degree. So first degree is planned. You planned it out. You knew exactly what you are going to do. You went with the intent to kill. Second-degree murder is... You didn't plan it at all, but you ended up killing someone, and and it was kind of planned right then. Like, it was just, like, then and there you kind of knew yes. you were going to kill someone. And then third degree is you just fucking exploded and killed someone. So, which is interesting. murders were first degree. Yeah, because it was planned for months. This is months. second degree. And third degree, I can't think of the crime of passion. Mm-hmm. And we I didn't think... cut that penis off. Yeah. Which, I th- he didn't die. Yeah. I think what makes this second degree murder and not third degree murder, because he would, I think Eric Smith would probably say this was third degree murder because he said he had pent up rage and just exploded. Right. However, they said that, we'll get into this a little bit more when we start talking about it, but they said that he intentionally crossed the street and led him into the woods, which showed that he it's knew intent, that he was yeah. taking him out of public eye to do something nefarious. Yes, so I think that that's makes what makes this second degree if murder and not just, like, right explode there, out of nowhere. Yeah, okay, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so he was brought up on second degree murder charges. The jury heard that as a toddler, he threw temper tantrums and banged his head on the floor, which that sounds a little different than the story the grandparents said that we talked about at the beginning when he was cuddly and loving and clowny. Yeah. Um, like a little clown. And head injury. Maybe. Yes. The trifecta. Yeah. Did, did he wet his bed? I don't know. Is I don't that, think he hurt animals either. Oh, that's. I think the head on the floor is just more like people that's that have like hit a their head. Is or um. What but my favorite murder chocolate all the time. Like what? people always have head head injuries that like end up committing horrible crimes. Well, isn't that it's called the the McDonald trout is peeing your peeing the bed, setting fires, yeah. and killing animals. Oh, okay. Head um, injuries is just also. I just think it was like my favorite murder. Like not like, the screw loose. They always say it on LP yeah. too. Um. So I think it could maybe. But the whole banging their head on the floor—that's like a thing. What is that? Uh, uh, opposition opposition to defined as yeah. That's like a. That's actual. Yeah. Nowadays, that's like, what? That's a good symbol or a good symbol. symbol. <laughs> that's a great symbol. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's he a, banged his head on the floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had speech problems. He was held back at school. He was relentlessly bullied. Which again makes me really sad. When he asked for help with his anger. His adoptive father did not seem equipped to give it to him. Um, his dad cited a... What does it... Was he adopted? Was it a stepdad? I think it was a stepdad. Okay. I think, like, the mom's husband adopted him. Like, you okay. have to... Like, yes. You don't just, like, assume... Like, he officially adopted yeah, him. Yeah, like, okay. like Eric's real father gave up rights. Yeah, okay. Is what happened. Um, so his dad cited a conversation he had with Eric. Quote, he was really upset... He was crunching his fists and shaking and told me that, quote, Dad, I need help. I said, hold it. When I got angry when I was your age, I just grabbed a bag in our barn and started beating on it until I was too tired to do anything else. I heard a door shut, and I turned around, and he was gone. And I got to the window. He was coming back in the door, and he was calmed, and I looked down, and I noticed his knuckles and his hands were kind of skinned up and bloody. I asked him what happened. He said I hit the tree a couple times. Seemed to be okay. Which, it seems like the dad had good intentions, trying to help him. It just, like they said, not equipped. It is kind of sad, also, that, like, he did kind of ask for help. He said, man, I have this anger inside me. What am I supposed to do? Mm -hmm. And like you said, I think the dad meant, well, 100%. uh, Like, this is, Matt always talks about this, and he talked about it in the last episode. Um, He always says that, like, his dad took him into a garage and, like, taught him how to, like, beat up 
when he was bullied because Matt, you know, he talks about on the show, uh, he, you know, dealt with bullies in his life as well. And the way his dad taught him how to deal with it was beat the shit out of the person that's beating you, which I don't think he ever really did. But um, I think that's one of the things where it's like sometimes that's how dads think that Mm -hmm. just beat it out. And there's that's not malicious. That's not. But in a way. Do you think. I mean, this case is interesting for that reason, too. But like, do you think like not intentionally at all but do you think that kind of taught him to take his anger out physically for sure absolutely. instead of like talk to a therapist yeah 100 percent. this will be an interesting debate to have a matt because he keeps telling me that that would end all be all for bullying and I'm one like, time when i got mad when i was a kid i punched the door and i got in trouble and i never did it again exactly you know? yeah i'm not a violent person physically i'm a violent person with my words and that's why because i would have gotten my ass Buried alive. Yeah, my parents I, didn't appreciate a punch door. Yeah, yeah. Didn't break the door. But it's interesting but. though. Like I obviously this is not blame or anything. We no, think he had the best that, of intentions. It's just interesting that he kind of let him down. You know the hey, just hit it out. Right. It'll make you feel better if you just physically punch a bag. Which is yeah. interesting. I just wanted to talk about that for yeah. a second because that is interesting. And Matt and I, like I said, have this debate often because. I have bullying very close to my family, um, and Matt and I have debated this, and I'll bring it in and we can talk about this some other time, but basically, he was saying, you know, I was taught to fight. I think it all depends on the person Plus, that's it's being bullied to, Yeah, 100%. Like, this guy, or this guy, Eric Smith had pre-existing issues, and, you know, little Matt too. might not have, you yeah. know. Um, and so, getting back to the case, uh, defense psychiatrist Dr. Stephen Herman diagnosed Smith with intermittent explosive disorder, uncontrollable rage. Um, not that I'm laughing, it just seems funny that that's a diagnosis. Yeah, I've doesn't... diagnosed you with uncontrollable rage. Um, yeah. However, the How do you control it then? <laughs> the prosecution's expert said it was a rare disorder that was rarely seen at Smith's age. Um, and we talked about this... I think it was on the Bundy episode about how in courts they're always just like, oh, he has this and this and this, and everyone's kind of like, mm, maybe just, not. Yeah. Um, Every it's it's diagnosis. it's hard because like everybody wants an explanation, and I think mm-hmm. sometimes there isn't one. There sometimes it's just kid was angry and lashed yeah. out. Like I could punch another wall, and that doesn't mean I have intermittent explosive disorder. I just yeah. exploded intermittently. Yeah. Um. He was subjected. Eric was subjected to extensive medical testing from specialists from both sides, the prosecution and the defense, and Dr. Herman still believed there was something wrong. Quote, something happened to his brain, but we can't measure it. Why? Yeah, I don't Why know. Why couldn't you measure it? And they did say that when they had examined his brain that the hormone levels were normal. Like, they didn't they find were. anything to indicate that he had these explosive rage problems, which is interesting to note. It's interesting to see that, like, he was examined a gazillion times. One side says, oh, you have all of these disorders um, and you have uncontrollable rage, and the other side says there's absolutely nothing off yeah. about your brain chemistry uh, to explain why this would have been the outcome, which is interesting. It's, you know, I was talking about this with my cousin today, not to get so sidetracked, but I always find it really interesting how the defense and the uh, prosecution lay things out so differently. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not the best case for the example, but like I was listening to a podcast where the, and I think I talked to you at work about this, you know, where the the two sides had completely different ideas of what happened. And my question was, 
was like, do you think lawyers just like kind of make things up using evidence to try to like fit a story that would better help their client? Or do you think this is the story that they were actually told by their client and they spin it to try to get them the best um, outcome possible? I've, I'm going to ask a few lawyers. I think it's dependent on the scenario though yeah. and, and the evidence presented and what you know the prosecution has. I'm sure there's a lot of factors that go into it, but sometimes yeah. it's just like, like Casey Anthony, how do we go from drowning in the pool to being overdosed? You know, I mean, it's just a very, very different stories. And I know that a lot, I mean, not Jose Baez, but I know that a lot of defense lawyers, are you cold? Just a little bit. <laughs> um, this is a I know it's just, like some defense lawyers will go into it, they'll be like, if you did it, don't tell me you did it. Yeah. Like, well, because then I think that's also like a bias. Like, how can you morally defense? I mean, I right. guess it's their job, but like, how would you morally defense? I, yeah, I could never do it. I asked my uncle that. Uh, again, we're getting a little off track, but it's interesting, and I and I think it has to do with this. But I asked my uncle, who is a defense attorney. One day, I hope to get him on the show, but I think I swear too much as it um, is right now. Yeah, he's uh, in Squirrel Hill, mm-hmm. so in Pittsburgh. Um, he. I asked him when I was younger because I've always been interested in true crime and I'm sad I didn't pick his brain more but I didn't think of these questions then but I basically asked him like how do you defend someone when you know they're they did something so horrible like how wouldn't you want them to be put away and his response was pretty much um, and I was younger so like we didn't really go into much detail but his response was pretty much like Lisa it's not my job to decide whether they're guilty or innocent it's my job to get them the best possible outcome for what they are charged. Which is interesting, but then I wish I would have followed that up now with, but do you make up a story to get your guy off, or do you take the evidence that's there and use that to your, you know, like, how does that work? I don't know. I should, I should ask my ex. He's a lawyer, but he's not, I don't think he's a defense lawyer, but it's all interesting. It's all interesting. So both sides were saying different things. One was saying his brain's messed up. And he has these these rage issues. And one side was saying, I'm not seeing any of this in his brain. There's nothing in his brain chemistry to explain why this would have been the outcome. So I thought that was pretty interesting. So, of course, the prosecution made it a point to know that Smith knew full well that his actions were wrong because he admitted, like we were talking about earlier, that he lured Derek into the woods for the sole purpose of killing him so no one could see. Because like we said, if it was third-degree murder, if he just, like he kind of explains, just blew up with all that pent-up rage, he would have killed him right there on the street. It just would have, you know, there wouldn't have been that forethought to take him out into a, a, just like a, a wooded area where he could not be seen. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because... That was a huge point that was made by the prosecution. They said, hey, clearly you knew you were doing something that was not right. Clearly you had a plan in your head um, because you took him out of eyesight. Right. You know, you if this was just an explosive thing, you would have done it right then and there. Throughout the trial, Smith, uh, Eric Smith's face was eerily blank. And I think that probably has a lot to do with his age and yeah, the, the confusion of the case. And I'm sure, I think it's just, like, I think all of this is just a mess. But I don't think that that's fair. Yeah, you know what I mean? I just don't know if he was really, I think you can be in shock. You could be, like, don't, don't, laugh, yeah, don't like, make well, any, don't make any facial expressions at all because yeah, it can be I know, didn't Jose Baez tell Casey Anthony to, like, smile all the time? Yeah, and he told, the, the prosecution told the parents to not react to anything. Yeah, so a lot we, of that is coached. We don't know what was said. Yeah, but. yeah. But, so, yeah, I don't, I, I agree. I don't think that part is fair. And it's going to be interesting to discuss the guy for eye for this case because I have some thoughts and Kara has some thoughts and I don't know if they completely line up. I don't know if they do or not because I still... We're not going to be friends after this episode. Yeah, actually, she's never going to be on the podcast again after this. I'm just kidding. So, throughout his trial... Um, 
he seemed to show no emotion and seemed to express no remorse. But like we said, we don't know if that's completely fair um, because sometimes, like we talked about, they're told to not say a thing, not do a thing. Pretty much anything you say or do will be used against you. That's kind of like, you know, if he blinked the wrong way, I'm sure people would be like, oh my gosh, he's a, he's a nasty killer who has a, a devil yeah. for, you know, a soul. It's just all, like, personal perception. Yeah. Um, That's what perception is. But it is kind of interesting because... Wouldn't you think the defense would be like, cry? I don't think that really makes you any more sympathetic. Yeah, I, I guess you're right. It almost makes you, like, unhinged. Yeah. But I feel like if you showed remorse, you'd have more people saying, like, oh, he feels bad. Whereas, clearly, what he was, what he did isn't working for him because people right. are like, he's an emotionless monster, even though he's 13 years old. You know, it's interesting. I just think I'm everything curious. can be perceived anyway. Yeah. And... Or, like, being overdramatic. Or... Yeah. It's interesting. I think... Also, I guess I'm kind of comparing it to how I feel I would react if I was convicted of something like this. I think, well, I, I could never kill anybody, but I feel like if I did, I would be horrified right. with myself. So I feel like I would cry, and I would just be so shaken up because how could I have done that? So maybe that's why it was reported, like, he, oh, he's a monster. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, normal perception is, or quote-unquote, normal perception, you'd be shaken up if you were remorseful. Now, on August 16, 1994... Uh, so the year after, Smith was convicted of a second-degree murder and was convicted of second-degree murder and sentenced to the maximum term, term then available for juvenile murders, which was um, a minimum of nine years to life in prison. Smith was held in a juvenile facility for three years and then was transferred to an open prison for young adults. In 2001, he was transferred to Clinton Correctional Facility and Danemora, New York, which is a maximum security prison. While in jail, it is interesting to note that Smith wrote an apology letter to Robbie's family, where he read on public television, and I think he was told to do this by his, um, his parole lawyer or whatever. Um, so he said in a quote, I'm going to see if I can find a clip of this, so if I can, I'm going to insert that clip here. If not, I'm, you're going to hear me read it. So he wrote, I know my actions have caused a terrible loss in the Robbie family, and for that, I'm truly sorry. I've tried to think as much as possible about what Derek will never experience. His 16th birthday, his 16th birthday, Christmas, any time, owning his own house, graduating, going to college, getting married, his first child. If I could go back in time, I would switch places with Derek and endure all the pain I've caused him. If it meant that he would go on living, I'd switch places, but I can't. At the end of the statement, he states that he cannot bear the thought of walls, razor wire, and steel metal bars for the rest of his life. He also apologized to Derek Robbie in interviews. Now, he has since been denied parole nine times since 2002. So he was first up for parole eight years after the murder, which brought us to 2002. Um, and most recently, he was denied recently. He was denied in April, this past April, so like two months ago. Um, in 2004, Derek's family sent a letter to the parole board along with a video showing Derek's short life. So they wanted to make it a point, we lost someone. As a result of this guy, we won't have these. We don't have any more than this. This is all we have uh, of our son. So after the failed 2002 hearing, the parole board cited a concern for public safety in its decision, and Robbie's parents opposed his release. So they said, you know, they weren't going to let him out because they feared that he would be a threat to the public, and of course they took Robbie's parents' uh, you know, thoughts into consideration. 
At that hearing, he told a parole board he would not return to Savonia if released. Instead, or Savona if released, and instead would go to a shelter or a halfway house. So he was kind of saying, you know, I'm not going to go back there. I'm not going to like terrorize this family. I'm going to get the help. I'm going to take the steps to properly be put back into society. I don't, I'm not asking you to put me back on the streets tomorrow. I'm asking you to give me that opportunity to be in this halfway. I mean, he didn't say any of that, but I'm guessing that's what he meant um, by wanting to go to the shelter or the halfway house. Now, at his 2014 parole hearing, Smith said he had been bullied by other children at school and also by his father and older sister, and he confessed that he took his rage out on Robbie, so he killed him. And that was the first time it was noted that he kind of gave a reasoning for why he did what he did. Because before that, it was kind of his, his defense team talking for him, but this is the first time out of Smith's mouth that he said, this is potentially why I did what I did. So he also said in that same uh, parole hearing that the stick was inserted in order to ensure death, which is gross and confusing, but uh, I guess that was just something he did in his brain to ensure that the little kid was not I going I guess, out. again, he's a kid. He doesn't... Yeah, it was just like one of those things what? that... Yeah. Now, of May 3rd, as of May 3rd, 2016, the NYS Department of Corrections website shows him incarcerated... Um, at a medium security prison for male inmates in Erie County, New York. On April 21st, 2018, which was the most recent uh, parole hearing, he was denied denied parole for the ninth time since his incarceration. His current lawyer, who is Susan Betts... Susan B. Yeah, Susan B. Anthony was his lawyer. It's his current lawyer. She came back yes. from the dead to help him out. Um, no, so his current lawyer is Susan B. I'm not going to try to pronounce her last name. I'm sorry. I'm not going to. That's Jutomer. There it is. Whom Eric pays $5 a month, believes, in quotes, the issue isn't what kind of disturbed child he was then. The question now is what kind of young man is he? Now, because that's the question the parole board faces. The parole board faces. So she's saying basically... It, it's not about what what happened then. It's about who he is now. Can people change? That's kind of the question she's posing to the parole board. Do you believe someone can be rehabilitated in prison uh, and, and become a productive member of society? She allowed, um, yeah, she allowed Eric to read a statement during one of the parole hearings to demonstrate that he is not the same person he is now when he was a boy back then. His letter read, quote, I know my actions have caused a terrible loss in the Robbie family, and for that, I am truly sorry. We went over that part before, and so he also mentioned that if it meant that he would go on living, I'd switch places, but I can't. So after quite a few years of verbal abuse and having been told that I am nothing, I shut down my feelings. So I wouldn't feel the emotional pain, which made me vulnerable and weak, but the damage was done. I began to believe I was nothing and a nobody, and my outlook on life was dark. I felt that when I went to school, I was going to hell because that's what it was for me. However, minor or major, or however minor or major each abuse situation, it all adds up. Until then, it gets, until it gets to the point where the individual cannot take any more. After a while, they may cope in a horrific way or take their emotional anger or rage out on someone who had done nothing to bring on such violence like Derek. Not because they're evil or satanic little kids. It's because they want the abuse to stop. And it's the only way they know how to. Although each case is different, there's always the underlying fact that the kids who did, 
who do these unthinkable crimes endure years of abuse, whether at school, at home, or both. I had issues at home, but I'm not going to talk about that. You may think I'm a threat to the well-being of society, and I can understand why you would feel that way, but the fact is, I'm not. I'd be an asset to society. Um, and when asked why, during this like little speech he gave, why he did it, Smith uh, chimed in and said, because instead of me being hurt, I was hurting someone else. Now, real quick, I just want to talk about this. So, it's also going to kind of bleed into the eye for an eye conversation, so I'm not going to completely go into it. Um, but if you haven't realized um, by anything I've said in the past, my brother was uh, horrifically bullied his entire life up until he graduated high school. Thank goodness my brother's super successful now and has a fiancé and life is going really, really well, which shows you can come out on the other end in a positive light. Um, but I do understand, you know, the pent-up rage, rage and anger because he took it out on me. Um, you know, my brother would freak out on me, and I understood because my parents explained it to me when they wouldn't punish him for some things that he would do, like say or do to me. Um, they, they explained it kind of, you know, we can't punish him because of the shit he goes through at school uh, in his daily life. And they didn't say this is why he took it on me, but I understood at a young age he was bullied. So he picked on someone younger and more, like, less in, you know, less impressionable than he was. Um, you know, he couldn't bully back the bully, so he bullied low, lower. You know, he went down, and the person standing there was his little sister. And although my brother was, like, obviously he didn't kill me or anything, and he wasn't, like, crazy, you know, in any way, uh, he did bully me a bit. And, you know, we got in fights, of course, sibling fights, but it was clear that, you know, the rage that he had inside of him, it was taken out on me yeah. a bit. Um, and I think it was interesting... Uh, that he said, you know, I, I felt that when I went to school, I was going to hell because that's what it was for me. That's exactly what my brother has said. Um, so I thought that was interesting because, of course, my brother didn't kill anybody, and that's, I, I can't, they're apples and oranges. We can't, like, we can't compare them. They're very different. Um, but I do understand why he says, you know, how minor or major each abuse situation is, it all adds up, and you take that anger out on someone vulnerable, more vulnerable than you. Um, which is exactly what he did. So I, I just want to say that I kind of understand. I don't empathize with it, but I do. You know what I mean? It's one of those things that's yeah. hard because I don't agree at all. And I don't think that, obviously, my brother's a great example. People who are bullied, that's not an excuse to go out and kill someone. Mm -hmm. um, or even hit someone. You know what I mean? It's not an excuse. It's not. It wasn't an excuse for my brother to bully me. Right. Um, it's not an excusable thing, but it's more understandable Right. Because they have that what what happens with the bully? Most bullies were bullied. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's, like a, chain. it's yeah. a it's a chain reaction, which is why I said, you know, I think our uh, generation is going to be something that really kind of not put, puts an end to bullying because there's always going to be assholes. But I think our generation is is teaching, hey, I was bullied. I'm not going to do that to you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's more like we're not going to stand for this. Instead yeah. of, okay, I can't say that, so I'm going to do it instead. Yeah. All right, so let's get uh, back into what the defense said kind of in response. Yeah, so their response to that was, I don't doubt that somewhere along the line a light bulb has gone on, and all of a sudden Eric has a better understanding of the enormity of what he did. Does that mean he's now safe to be back among us? Of course not. Let's assume he's not a threat anymore. Okay, should we release him? There's a lot more to talk about. That is, has he been punished enough? That's an interesting 
point to make, which is going to be part right. of our conversation yeah. coming up. Um, parole officials said that Smith appears to be making progress in institutional programs as a clean discipline record, but noted his release would be, quote, incompatible with the welfare and safety of society. Most important to the Robbie family is that the parole board doesn't forget Derek either and allow his killer to walk out the door. The Robbies want to give families like theirs more time to heal before facing the anguish of parole. They fought to pass Penny's Law, which lengthens the prison sentence for children who kill. And he will next appear before the parole board in January 2020. And to honor Derek, volunteers bulldoze the scene of the crime and put in a new ball field in memory of the little t-ball player. That's sweet. Before we go into all of this, all of this, Kara, I thought it would be interesting because um, throughout, you know, news articles, you can comment kind of nowadays. You can kind of leave comments and tell your thoughts on the case and what's going on. Um, since this is, again, recently brought back into the news, I thought it would be interesting to kind of read some comments from a news site that I was using to research this. Um, and I thought we could go back and forth and kind of read them and, and kind of hear other people's takes and see kind of, you know, and then we'll talk about what we feel and kind of see if we agree or disagree with these people. Um, so, yeah. So I, do you want to go first or should I? Sure, I will. Okay. Um, so first comment. No one gets bullied just because they have red hair. They get bullied because they're developing slower than their classmates. In other words, at age 13, Eric could have had a social intellect of a five-year-old or even a two-year-old. This is even more reason why it's not ethical or nor logical to hold a person indefinitely in prison for something that they've done while still a child and a de developmentally behind child at that. Another comment read, none of us should be defined by the worst thing we ever did, nor should we be held to adult standards for things we did when we were 13 years old. It's time for Smith's release. Another one. Once a murderer, always a murderer. He took the life of an innocent little boy. Eric Smith knew the difference between right and wrong and should pay every single day for the life he took. One, a cold-blooded killer. I'm, I think that meant to be once. I don't know. These are yeah. comments, so I have no I didn't write these. So one, a cold... I'll just read it exactly <laughs> how it's written. Um... And if you, we're not going to say another one. We're just going to fucking go back and forth. Clearly, when I start reading, it's a different comment yeah. than when Kara's reading. So, one, a cold-blooded one, a cold -blooded killer, no longer a monster. Eric Smith killed when he was 13. This was more than 20 years ago, and I'm sure he <laughs> is no longer the monster that everyone believes he is. And he deserves freedom just like every other human being. There is no doubt that Eric is not haunted by the memory, and that is something that he will have to live with for the rest of his life, and that cannot make him feel any worse about the terrible deed that he had committed, but he shouldn't have to keep on saying sorry for something he was responsible for when he was only 13. People change, and I'm sure he's truly a changed person, and should be given the chance to prove that he's no longer a threat to society. He sodomized a four-year-old with a stick and crushed his head with a rock. Let's say that he gets out next time around. What if he hurt someone else? Whose fault will that be? The people who let him out? Eric? I mean, he's totally messed up in the head. Why even risk her, him hurting someone else? Why is the risk even worth it? Excuses cannot be made. A lot of people are bullied. You have to be messed up in the head to brutally murder a small child. Even as a 13-year-old, that's unacceptable. Freedom is a privilege that he had taken from him when he decided to murder an innocent little boy. Let's not let him back out into society and give him the chance to hurt someone else. All right, so those are some comments that I thought were interesting because they're kind of on both ends of the gamut, you know, both sides. Uh, it's it's interesting. A lot more believe that, I mean, through what I've seen at least, I mean, I haven't taken a fucking poll or anything, but, like, um, a lot of people do believe in his release, and that's what we're going to talk about right now. So I for a nine. Now, he was given, let's recap, um, 
eight years to life and he's been every so i think with that every two years you get or something like that one he every two years you get up for parole after your eight years so every two years he has a chance to go before the review board and see if he could get released now really quick before we go into the thoughts i just want to go over penny's law um because it, it does have a lot to do with the sentencing and you know it could have a lot to do with thoughts on the sentencing um so penny's law we kind of touched on that his family's a huge proponent and helping pass that law and basically what it was is it was made after a 15 year old was raped in oh no it was made after a 15 year old kid raped and strangled penny brown and only served a nine-year sentence now it's important to note that penny's law's goal is not to give these minors automatic life but to change the sentencing range from five to nine years to life in prison to 15 to 25 years in life to life to prison so it's important to note that robbie's family although i don't know how they personally feel they are not trying to get every minor an automatic life sentence with no possibility of parole they just want the parole timing to be a little bit later so instead of being up for parole in five to nine years they want them to spend at least 15 years or 25 years in jail before it's going to be reviewed so i thought that was important because i don't want people to think even though like i said i don't know how his family personally feels uh, I, I can imagine they would like him to be locked up for the rest of his life but um it's important to know that they're not petitioning to have him stay in for the rest of his life uh at least not outwardly they're just trying to make it a little bit longer which also begs the question which we can talk about here right now um can you put can you put a sentence amount on a life you know what i mean because it's like so they don't want to they want their thing was they want more time to grieve before he's out on parole right they want more time but how much time is enough time to grieve like it's weird that they're kind of quantifying mm-hmm. i mean that. i think that's a lifetime and, thing right yeah grief mm-hmm. I, maybe i don't I, know I've, i i thankfully have not you know besides my grandparents i i haven't really had something like like a child you know grief and nobody taken like that yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um, like natural causes were the cause of it everyone in my family's uh yeah but it's interesting that's something to think about it's like it's weird that that like that they said they want more time before he's out on parole but like how much time do you want like what is the time frame right how is that quantifiable uh, which is interesting i don't think that it is so let's talk about it like i said eric was sentenced to eight to eight years to life uh so it is within the minor sentence of five to nine years to life in prison um what do you think what are your thoughts what's going on here I want you to go first. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so these cases are hard because I am a very emotional person, so I try to see it from all sides of the spectrum, right? You know, um, in, in my brain at first, just thinking about murder in general, regardless of your age, not thinking about age, not thinking about intellect or anything not considering anything when i think of murder i think of unless it's self-defense and self-defense only if you take someone else's life you need to pay a consequence i we'll go over what that consequence should be but i think there is absolutely no justifiable reason to kill anything really but um besides for food but you know what we're getting into a whole other conversation but um veganism which I should probably be in my brain. I'm a vegan, but in my in my soul, I'm a carnivore. But it made no sense. Whatever. <laughs> so that, just murder in general, in my brain, I feel like you chose to take someone's life. There's going to be, you, you forfeited your right 
to have a normal life to be free. Uh, that's what I feel. So murder in general. Now, minors who commit crimes. Um, I always think back to Mary Bell's case who we covered in episode 11. Um, and the reason I think about it is because she, she had the sentence, Your Majesty, Her Majesty's Pleasure, which is mm-hmm. basically, it's almost like this. It's, it's basically like not saying you're up for parole, but you're like kind of on parole. It's like mm-hmm. you're held for whenever they feel like letting you go until they feel you are acceptable, which I believe is kind of like parole, but there's just not a definitive time that you go yes. up for parole. Um, but the way I think of Mary Bell's case, which I've talked about on the show, um, I think of the family. I think of the family of the little boy. And so... How many people did she kill? Two. Two. Okay. Yeah. Which is different. So this is not the same, but this is what I think about when I think of mm-hmm. kids who kill um, in general because she was also 12. Um, it makes you think because if you didn't know and you haven't listened to the episode, pause it here, go back and listen. But if, if you have, if you are familiar with Mary Bell's case, she's out of jail. Um, she spent like... 15, 20 something years. I don't, she spent like a random amount of time in jail. It's just like, it's Her Majesty's Pleasure. So they yeah. kind of like reviewed it and let her go. Um, but she got to change her name. She got to change her identity. She got to. So, so the reason it kind of bothers me in Mary Bell's case is because um, obviously the family knows that she's out of jail. The families of the people she, she killed, the little boys that she killed, um, who were two and I think two and four respectively, or two and three. I'd have to go back and look at that. I don't want to be uh, incorrect. But um, the way I think about it is they go out to dinner and they're constantly looking around because they don't know what Mary Bell looks like. They don't know what her name is. She, she's changed from the time she was 16 and in the news mm-hmm. or, you know, 12 in the news. She does not look like the same person. She's aged. She's what, in her 50s now, 40s now. Um, so I can't imagine if I was a family member of someone that was murdered knowing that, like, in, in the kid's situation, knowing that I have no idea what person around me did this crime, but they know exactly who I am. I don't think that's fair. And I don't know if that would happen to Eric because I don't know if he'd be able to get his identity changed. I don't know if that's how this would work. And, and like I said, it's different because she killed two little boys and not just one. Um, but the brutality of the crime bothers me. So I get it. Like we've talked about being bullied and stuff. I um, I just, I don't know. So I think, so... So his, uh, it's interesting because with his case, he's been denied parole and they've cited he's a threat to society still. And I'm kind of wondering where they get that from because he's not a violent prisoner. He's, there's no record of him. You know what I mean? It's weird that given the sentence he was given that he continuously is denied. And I think it's because of the family. I think that's 100% the reason. I don't really think it's because they believe he's a threat unless they really do believe in the fact that he has these like rage issues but when is a family ever gonna say yes let him out we welcome him into our home you know well that's what i'm saying that's why that's what i said it's like is there a quantifiable right right but i can't imagine being five years in prison for something for a horrible murder being pissed off if they're let out you killed Mm -hmm. uh, you killed our child um you know, you're only spending five years in jail. You were 13. You get out when you're 18. That's ridiculous. You know what I mean? I can understand from that perspective. Of course, no family's ever going to be like, yes, let him out. Let's let let's let him walk. Let's let him become a pastor and we'll preach to the God. Him, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but I I think I do agree with the the family in that. Um, I just I just think based on the crime. Um, I feel like nine years is too little of a crime, uh, too little of a sentence. I do agree, though. So, 
eye for an eye if we're talking literal sense i well not literal sense but you know in this context i do think the punishment fits the crime um i think five or what was he eight years to life i think that's fair because it's being reviewed so he has the opportunity although it's been denied so that we can talk about but sentencing wise just solely based on what the sense he was getting he's not given 15 to life he wasn't given 25 to life he's been given the opportunity although they keep taking it from him every two years after he hit the eight-year mark to get out of jail and i think that's fair i agree i think that it's fair that they've been giving him the opportunity to plea his case um after eight years uh however because I, I'm more empathetic to the family than I am to someone who bashed, you know, a kid's head in with a rock. Um, I, I do think he should spend at least 15 years in jail. I think 15 years would probably be my max for him. Um, I, like I said, it's hard for me because I feel like if you take a life regardless of your age, and I understand you need to take into consideration you're not grown, you don't know what you're doing, you don't understand. Uh, well, no one really understands the finite of death you know no one knows what happens when you die so i think that's a ridiculous argument to make but um i i think especially in this kind of a way like in the brutal attack that this was and it wasn't third degree murder it wasn't like he came out of nowhere sprang up like a jack-in-the-box and beat this kid with a, a rock he led him into the woods he had an idea what he was doing whether or not he knew how finite it was that's uh i feel like that's kind of irrelevant but um i do think what he committed this crime what when he was 13. 13. What's 13 plus 15? 28. Yeah, I'm so stupid. Oh my god. <laughs> how old is he now? 38. Oh shit, how long has he been in jail? 24 years. I think. That's a bit excessive. Yeah, I think. I think they should really consider reviewing that he's been a good prisoner, that he's done, you know, he's a he's done his. He's not fighting people in jail. He's, he's, I don't, I don't know the psychology of it. I don't know what goes into parole hearings. I don't know if it's just you plea the case again, mm-hmm. or if you get psychologically evaluated and they come back and they're like, yes, he is still a threat. To, you know what I mean? Because it makes the way I feel the judge is going off is off the family. Yeah. So we so, really don't disagree with the sentencing. On well, I mean, flash floods. Yeah. Like, okay. I guess I'll. Yeah. Get tell it. me. I mean, tell me your thoughts. Yeah, if you do this, if you kill anybody and it's not self-defense, you should absolutely go to jail. Yeah, yeah. life, that's... Up to debate. Reasonable. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, but my... I didn't realize how long he... My gut reaction right now is let the dude out. And here's why I say that. Um, obviously, I mean, he was a child. Mm-hmm. And... Everything he put into the crime was juvenile. I'm, like, I don't mean to make light of it, but bashing somebody's head in with a rock is juvenile. Mm-hmm. It's not like he took a machete and stabbed him. He didn't take a gun. He, you know what I mean? He took what um, was near him at the he time. He smashed a banana. He poured Kool-Aid. It's all just so juvenile. Everything leading up to, or after, so everything following it was juvenile. He confessed within five days. Not that that... Is like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you confessed within a week, lesser jail time. Yeah. But I don't think it took long for him to understand what happened. Um, but focusing less on what happened then and what, like, now, like, do people change? I absolutely believe that. I, the reason that I even brought this up when you posed that question, however, like, a couple weeks ago, 
is because when I was a kid and I first started getting into true crime and stuff, before the ID channel was, like, a big thing that people, mm-hmm. like, peed their pants over, I would always watch, and I'm talking about when I'm, like, maybe 13 or 14, mm-hmm. um, on E! They would always like play true the crime special. Show, yeah, the... They would have those true crime specials, and I think this one was, like, Kids Who Killed. Yeah, or whatever. yeah I think that's the first time I saw it, this. And that's the first time I ever knew who he was. Oh, and even that, we're talking, what, that's 10-ish years ago? I genuinely, I mean, I don't want to say I felt bad for him, mm-hmm. but I thought that he seemed genuine. Mm-hmm. And I believe, I mean, I didn't look back on this, but I, uh, I mean, it obviously stuck with me because I remember it. He said, like, the difference between, like, the, like what happened then and me now is that I have a value for life. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you put the, the circumstances of his life at that time... How could he value life when he's being bullied? His dad, he says his dad bullied him. His sister bullied him. He's, uh, what he said in that statement you read is very eloquent and it it makes sense. Like, Mm -hmm. I can relate to that. Yeah. And he shut down his feelings and he he was vulnerable. Does that mean you should go kill somebody? Absolutely not. Does it excuse it? Absolutely not. But, again, child, and what really makes me think now that he should be let out again which i think you realize during this 24 years in jail is how long he has been there model prisoner so he's not still having rage issue i mean yeah you, know. you would think if you add if like, I was uncontrollable in prison, rage, I'd probably beat somebody up you know well, what I mean? like but you know what i mean like uncontrollable rage like if that's uncontrollable you would think he would have beat someone's ass yes. in prison right now so he's just like they say he's making progress in his whatever's uh I can't remember exactly daily activities. Um, He's making progress in institutional programs. um, And for some reason, this is really important to me that he said if he's released, he would go to a shelter or a halfway house. Yeah. So he understands, like, I don't want to hurt those people any more than I already have. I'm leaving. I'm getting away from them. I just want to go live my I just life want a peacefully chance. and quietly and he, yeah he just wants a chance and um he confessed that I think that admission of guilt and accepting consequences is a big thing look at like people like Ted Bundy and you know th- obviously that's not mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, fair yeah, but I understand but so many people won't admit uh, Eileen Moore knows. Uh, I'm, I'm yeah. still comparing, like, major serial killers. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? No, I understand. A lot of no, people I mean. do not admit when they've done something wrong. Yeah, they and try I to think, keep the control. And I think the fact that he can be like, I did this, I'm really sorry, I, you know, I think he's admitted it. I think that he's proved that he changed, that he's not even, I don't want to say changed, that he's grown up, that he's, like, a functioning adult. I, I think, did, I think 24 years is enough time with no other offenses. If Now, let's if say he, he was getting in fights all the time yeah, that he was... Yeah. Then no. Or like but, last week, if he beat someone up, okay, we'd right. talk about it. But if he's had a clean record and he... he, I really do think he seems genuine. Yeah. Is it all show? I don't think so, but yeah, yeah that's the risk you take. But that's yeah. the risk you take on anything. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and it's interesting because... Um, I think, so, okay, so we both agree that the sentence itself seems to make sense. 
It's kind of interesting, though, um, now that we go back to Penny's Law for a second. He's almost served 25 years in prison. And that's the time frame that Robbie's family is asking for. That's, that's like, that's what they want the minimum mm-hmm. to be. And that's almost his minimum. So I wonder if their thoughts are going to change come 2020 when it would be 26 years in jail. Yeah. Um, if, if they would be like, okay, now, you know, I mean, obvi- like, obviously you said they're never going to say yes. Now is the time I think he should be released. But it's curious to me that he is making, I wonder if the judge is doing that on purpose. Like, I wonder if he's waiting, you know, X amount of time. But I do think, so, like you said, I, you know, he hasn't, there's been no reports of him being violent. There's been no report, reports of him, like, not being remorseful. There's, he, he's doing things to try to better his life, it seems. He also mentioned in a few interviews that he did regarding the case that he thinks um, what he could do and what he could do to better society would be to talk to bullied youth, to talk, to show them what can happen if you don't deal with your anger and your stress and if you bully others, what can be the outcome. Like, the, you know, he, he wants to kind of make good make a tragedy into something that he can teach and help others to make sure there's not another kid like him or that meets the same fate as uh, Derek Robbie. I think, in my opinion, if we go over kind of what we think this sentence should have been, um, I mean, I think the sentencing is correct, but I think when we think of him getting out, I think, I mean, it's a little harsh, but I think, you know, maybe... um, I mean, I guess I don't really know stipulations of release, but maybe, like, being monitored, you know, maybe maybe being checked would give the family just a little bit more mm-hmm. peace. Like, he's not just, like, willy-nilly on the streets just, like, shaking his tail feathers, you know. He, he being monitored, having someone check up on him, having a – well, I guess, of course, you get a parole officer, but um, – like maybe being monitored, maybe making sure he he's not in a situation where you know that he's being closely monitored. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe that's fair. Maybe letting him out, letting him you know move away, go to the halfway house where he is being monitored, yes. where he is in a in a setting that's therapeutic, that he's or that he's um, that they say you know upon your release you need to take twenty years of therapy, serious therapy by a court appointed therapist or a psychiatrist um, to keep those emotions at bay because being bullied that that you know affects my brother till today you know he still thinks about those times and he still gets upset and sad and it doesn't just go away the anger and rage doesn't just like dissipate um it's something you need to constantly work on and I like I said I don't really know what his what his like therapy is like in jail or if he's even getting any kind of therapy but I think that would be important upon release like I hate that for Mary Bell they just kind of like bye like you know you're out now you don't have to check in see you later yeah. Um, and you get to change your name and be, you know, this anonymous creature. I think it's not fair to the families that that got to happen. But I don't think that that's what Eric's facing if he is released. Um, but I, like I said, I do think, uh, I don't know. It's so hard because, like you said, he's a child. But, like, yeah, his his crime was juvenile, but it was just, like, it was gruesome. He didn't just, like, choke a kid out. He yeah. bashed a head in and poured Kool-Aid in it. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's juvenile, but it's gruesome. Like, you could have just, I mean, not that one way of killing someone's better than another, but you could have just choked the kid and just, yeah. you know what I mean? There, there is a brutality element to the crime. However, juvenile, it's still brutal. Um, and I think that obviously played a role in the sentence because they keep citing that he's a danger yeah. to society, and I think that's why. I think if he just smothered a kid with a pillow, they would be like, oh, like, I mean, not that that's good, oh, okay. but you know what I mean? They, yeah. they would be no, less like, oh, he's a danger to the whole world. Mm-hmm. Like, it's probably because the brutality of his actions, whether or not he realized exactly what was going on or how that would impact him. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, I do think come 
2020 that it would be fair to let him out pending he was monitored or in a halfway house or yes. given extensive therapy, you know, for X amount of years. And I think, I think that would be fair. Um, and I do think, like I said, it, it is fair to review a minor sentence after nine years, after 10 years, after, you know, five years seems a little bit too like a minor. Like if we did that to Mary Bell, she would have been reviewed when she was 17. You know what I mean? Like it's it yeah. feel, five years feels low, but 10 years feels right. That feels like that. Okay, you spent now half your life in jail. Yeah, like well, especially when you're a kid, because that's half your life. Yeah, that's give or take half your life. Um, So I feel like that is fair. I do feel like that. You know, 15 years possibly too, but 25 years. I think that's rough for a minor. I don't think that's fair to review someone's case after 25 years if they're a minor. Um, What do you think? You you, do you agree that like okay, if he got out in 2020, there should be some stipulations, or do you think you know? No, you, yeah. yeah. Don't just... there. I Is that standard to monitor people or I no? I don't know. It's not. I don't know. Because I, I know in Vince Lee's case, but that was in that Canada. Was, right. Um, but he was only monitored for like a year and then they were like, all right, bye. Which is scary because he needs medication in order to function like a like a functioning human being. Um, But I don't know. I don't know what's standard. I really don't. I don't have a clue in the U.S. if there is a standard for that. I think I'm sure what would probably happen at the parole hearing would be like, I'm sure the defense, I mean, the prosecution would probably be like, okay, if he's released, this must happen. These these things must be met or else this doesn't make any sense. But I'm not 100% sure how that process. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's totally fair to what court appointed. Court-appointed therapy and stuff like that, that's fair. Yeah. And I don't think that Eric Smith would disagree with that. No, absolutely not. And I think, uh, and I think, like I said, I don't think it's, I don't think it's safe for anyone, for anyone going through some, like, demons like that to not talk it out, to not have that opportunity Mm -hmm. to, because, like Eric mentioned and, like, it it was was seen, built-up rage has serious consequences, uh, even though it seems like this wasn't necessarily him just snapping. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think we agree, but you know, have a, a little bit different reasonings, but I think mm-hmm. that's what makes this podcast great is that like we can talk about it and not bite each other's heads off and be like, Oh, what? You think you could be released? I think you should spend 700 years in jail. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think talking through it, we came to the same conclusion, uh, maybe for a little bit differing of reasons, but I think. I think that's interesting in and of itself because mm-hmm. I kind of went into this like, no, he shouldn't get out of jail. And I think you went into this kind of like, he should absolutely be out of jail. And then we kind of met this middle ground yeah. through talking it out, which is pretty interesting uh, when you think about the whole point of this podcast. So I thought that was pretty cool. I think this is a, this is a really interesting case. And as we read from like the, the reporting comments, um, there's very – there's very extreme sides of the gamut, and then there's people who've met in the middle. Yeah. Like, hey, yeah, it was a heinous crime. It's disgusting, but he spent 24 years in jail. Let the let the kid have some sort of chance to redeem himself. And yeah. then there's the other side, like, okay, we let him out and he kills someone, then what? And that's Are you gambling with other people? Be there. I don't know that yeah. that's a reason. I agree. What ifs aren't a reason to keep somebody locked up. Exactly. That's like Matt and I go into the mall, he's scared he's going to get shot because our mall's been shot up three times. And I'm like, Matt, you're going to get shot anywhere. If you're going to get shot, you're going to get shot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In school. It's horrible. It's yeah. well, That's a whole other conversation. But I think this was a really good eye for an eye conversation. I really do. And like I said, I think it's really interesting that both of us kind of came in mm-hmm. on more extreme sides and found a place to meet in the middle and, and really agree on what a sentence is. And, you know, hopefully Eric will find the same uh, 
you know, Eric and Derek's family will, I don't think they're ever going to come to like an agreement, but I think like, like I said, they're very huge proponents of Penny's law and by Penny law definition, 25 years to life, he's going to be at 26 years the next time he's up for parole. So maybe they are going to be like, okay, we think that's the minimum. Of course, maybe that's the minimum they think, but Maybe they'll start considering, okay, this makes more sense now. Maybe he should be considered Mm -hmm. Um, instead of fighting to keep him in jail because, you know, of course, they're still grieving. Um, That's a process that I can't relate to and I never will try. Um, I can't imagine because I I 100% believe if I was in the family, I'd be like, lock that mother, put him in the fucking, put him in a hole somewhere. Like, I don't care. Um, But you have to think about it versus the law. You know, has he done anything that was... Um, like a, like had he beat someone in prison, okay, don't let him out. That clearly he does have rage issues. Mm-hmm. Clearly he is out, but like, he seems like he's really working to better himself. And that says a lot. Exactly. Because and, I mean, like he said, he has a value for life. If he didn't want to live and show that he's worth something, he, he would, would have rotted away. Exactly. Exactly. And he probably would have kicked someone's ass in mm-hmm. jail. Um, and I think that's something that really needs to be looked at. Cause I still don't understand why they're citing, they think he's a threat still. And I'm guessing it's either because the family um, and also because the gruesomeness of the crime. That would be my guess because there's no way you can cite that without him having any offenses in right. jail. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. After 24 years, he's still yeah. a threat to society. That has to be because the crime was gruesome yeah. against a kid. And that has to be because the family is making these pleas to you know keep him in jail, which I can understand. Um, but I thought that was interesting as well. But that was a great case, Kara. I'm so happy that we had these combos. Uh, of course, you're going to come back for a gazillion more cases. Um, <laughs> but this one was really interesting, and we'd be really curious to hear your thoughts. What side of the aisle are you on, or are you, are you meeting us in the middle? Do you think the sentencing itself was fair, uh, or but do you think he should have gotten out in 10 years or 12 years or what parole hearing? Or do you think, uh, you know, 2026 is his time where, you know, that seems like that makes sense? Uh, what do you think? It, it is one of those that it does elicit emotions it does it's like okay he was a kid but he killed a kid so where where do you lie on that and i'd be really interested to hear your guys thoughts and your opinions and uh what you think about this case because i think this is definitely one of those ones that's hard to talk about but it's something i think it's important to talk about um just because of all the factors that go into you know juveniles in prison well he's not juvenile he's like a like he's like a man now but <laughs> you say he's what 34 now 38 why well, I cannot. So he'll be 40 by the time he yeah. gets out of jail. So that's well over. It's what? Of his life. Uh, he spent. 27 out of 40. Wait, so it divides up. Nope, it's not divisible. That's probably the lowest. Mm-hmm. 27 out of 40? Roughly 75%. 64. I don't know. Yeah, and he that committed. Was head math. He committed the crime when he was 13, so that's like three times his age. Four times his age. Yeah. So I, I agree. I think I think it is not fair to take someone's life ever. It's sixty-seven and a half percent. Wow. So he spent well over half of his life. Yes. Ago. And that's assuming he's gonna live till he's a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> so that's probably the statistics are not on his side for any of this, but I do think. Um, all in all, we believe the punishment fit the crime as far as the actual punishment goes. Let us know what you think as far as the yearage goes. But, Kara, thanks again for joining me on the show. I know it's hard to talk about. I'm drained. My soul hurts. Yes. 
I feel for the Robbie family. We, we send our deepest condolences uh, to the family. I can't imagine how hard this is, no. especially because every time it goes up for parole, it's rehashed and rehashed and rehashed and rehashed and rehashed. So, hard. Um, so we, we absolutely want to send the, you know, our thoughts out to everybody involved in this case. But that's that. Uh, I hope everybody has a good night. Hope you play with some puppies or some kitties or whatever floats your boat that makes you happy. Cook some food. I cooked some nasty-ass brownies. going to go home and probably try to eat one and find out I have 17 cavities <laughs> and then my face will burn off. But we bid you guys a deal. Remember, tell your friends, tell your fam, get them in on the conversation. We want to know what you guys think. We hope you have a really great night. Bye. Bye. <laughs> She felt that I might have saw something. Eric Smith was brought to the command post. It was quickly decided and, and, and observed that Eric most likely knew something. I switched up my story and they saw that. The boy was no match for veteran detectives. They pretty much knew that it was me. They looked at me and was like, why'd you do it? Why are you lying about it? In my head, I'm thinking, you know, just tell them it was you. Get it over with. I pretty much said, Mom, I killed her. She just burst out crying, and I, I immediately did the same. If I could switch places with Derek, I'd do it without a second thought. What messes me up most of all is that he was by himself. I'm the one that caused Derek to die alone. He never lived a full life because of me. When I killed Derek, I didn't have morals because I didn't know what they were. What's different between me now and when I was 13? I value life. He lived four years and 10 months. And that person killed him. She's about to kill something and I am anti-killing. Oh. Ah! What? Did you kill him? Did you kill him? Oh, to what? His death. I mean, he's alive. What was he? Charlotte's Web? Japanese beetle. That's what I want to really the, be afraid of it. What's a Japanese beetle? What are you afraid of? Bug wise. Kind of Same. There was one in my shower this morning and it made oh. me sad. Oh, he's right here. Hi, buddy. Is he cute? Is he colorful? Is he pretty? He like, I mean, I don't like bugs. But is he pretty for a bug? Yeah, he's okay. Beautiful. I don't know how I became this way. <laughs> Like, what made me not want to kill bugs? Because my mom sure smashes them to little bits. I probably wouldn't have smashed that guy, but if he were a spider, I would smash the fuck out of him. I think also for me, besides the fact I believe they all have families and they're just trying to get food and stuff. Um, There's nothing here for him. <laughs> we barely have food for ourselves. <laughs> um, besides that part of my brain that does that thing, I also don't like dealing with like bug guts. Like, I don't like That's dead fair. bugs. So, like, I don't like smashing it into more pieces to yeah. clean up. However, I, I don't remember ever in my life killing an insect ever on purpose. I've accidentally stepped on some shit, but oops. <laughs> I stepped on a bee once and it fucked my foot up. Oh, yeah. Which made me really sad because it died twice.